Well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to kick a turd here, but um, I'm sorry, the farm terms come out sometimes. <laughs> Speaking of turds, we're back. Scott and I with the guys from the Husker Cuz cast. Minus one, of course, because Tyler's just a turd and decided he didn't want to be here. But Hockey from the Go Big Red cast decided he did want to be here, though I'm not exactly sure why. But we appreciate <laughs> it. And uh, welcome to the third episode of the Big Red Roundtable. We are going to talk specifically about spring camp storylines tonight. And I'm really hoping that when we're all said and done, this is not going to give the entire live streaming community a giant, um, sorry guys, brown eye. Um, I wish Redcast Rob was here, but apparently he's in the mountains of Colorado, and that's the way it goes. Uh, but thanks for joining us tonight, Honky, and putting up with the, well, crappy, cheesy jokes I like to do, because <laughs> apparently Coach Frost does too. And welcome to the roundtable, dude. All right, thanks. And Redcast Rob is here in spirit. That's his uh, cardboard cutout from PBA a year ago. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Hey, so I know I've heard the story before, Matt, um, how the Redcast got started. Why don't you let everybody know, you know, all three of them are zero actually right <laughs> now. Uh, and the two or three hundred that might watch it on Twitter later, how uh, how the Redcast got uh, started and how you guys know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all originally uh, from Columbus, the original gang of us, and there's actually like seven total. We have a couple guys that are kind of behind the scenes that do graphics, and we have a producer skip and, and everything, but um, it was originally Mac, myself, and then Dave and Boomer, and then uh, we started in April of 2017, so Riley's last year in during spring ball. And so we've got to experience Riley's last season and then all these four glorious years too. So it's just been losing season after losing season. <laughs> um, but, you know, try to keep things positive, try to look at the, the the bright side of certain situations and try to find progress where you can. That's kind of what our show has mostly been about. Um, that was really hard after the Illinois game last year. And as I was telling you guys before we started, uh, that was Max pretty much last show. We, we played Illinois and, and we, we went out there. It was Redcast Rob and – and Mac and I and go to the game and on the way back it was he was like I'm done <laughs> he was just he was just done with the with the lose uh, the losses so um, Redcast Rob is is now uh, taking uh, Mac's shoes there and it's it's Rob Boomer Dave and I and it's four buddies that that love Husker athletics we focus mainly on football men's basketball and baseball that's traditionally what we do but we we try to talk about some of the other sports a little bit here and there too we're not exactly. I wouldn't call us experts at the first three, but we're certainly not the other sports. Those are the ones we know the best, at least. All righty. Well, that's, that's awesome, man. I know I've been listening to you guys since, um, I believe the Go Big, or the uh, Good Lord, Scott, I'm doing what you do. Uh, the Big Red Cobcast mentioned you guys on one of their shows one time in early 2018. I had just come okay. back out on the road as a truck driver. And mm -hmm. I was finding every Husker podcast I could that I could stand. And um, <laughs> they mentioned you, and I downloaded, and I listened. Believe it or not, I tortured myself with every show that you did from the <laughs> 2017 season because I wanted 
Scott and I had kind of been thinking about doing podcast stuff for a bit. And I was just kind of researching too, kind of how to do all this. Mm-hmm. And I still suck at it, but um, it just, it, I found, I found the way you approach each game, the way you approach each season uh, interesting because you've definitely got four distinct characters on the show that have distinct uh, differences in how they approach looking at Husker football. Um, but mostly you guys were audio up until just recently in the last couple months, right? You guys have just started doing the live stream element. Yeah. I was actually talking with you about that, about the stream yard. I'd never heard of stream yard before. And, and, uh, when you kind of explained it, it made life a lot easier. Plus it gave us, uh, this new Avenue. And so we've started to build up our YouTube channel. Uh, so everything's at go big Redcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now YouTube. And, uh, and it gives us a chance to, to go in live stream. Um, Tuesday night, we're going to be talking with Steve Sipple. We'll be live streaming that at 830. And then it's posted out there for, for anyone to watch. And then usually the next day uh, is when we will post the audio podcast. Um, that's through the Herdette Media Network. So we, uh, we're part of that network. And so we'll post it usually the next day. And then you can listen to it through your podcast platform of choice. That's awesome, man. How How did the herd at media deal come along. How did that, how did that manifest itself? Uh, do, did you get hooked up with people that were connected to it or they'd happen mm-hmm. to notice your, your content or how'd that go? I think, yeah, yeah. I think it was one of those things. They either kind of combination of them listening to us. And then also they just kind of our social media were active. And so we're constantly connecting with people. And then if you ask Red Cast Rob, he'd say he, you know, he's the one that sealed the deal. You know, he, he will always name drop or he will, he's the one that did the work. So you got to give Rob that credit. And he did, he made some contacts for us. Actually, they contacted us, they contacted him. And then, you know, whatever, a couple of meetings later. And next thing we know, we're, we're hooked up with them and they've been great. They own Hale varsity and Hale varsity. Right. We're, we're, you know, we're big on that with, uh, we just talked with Brandon Vogel, the managing editor of that last week and um, a lot of great connections mm-hmm. over there. Yes, absolutely. I, do you think Redcast Rob working in print media helped make that uh, connection possible because of the people he knew in well, the he, media circles? He he would definitely tell you that. I don't I don't know I, I don't know all the background <laughs> details, but um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we had him listed as our business contact before he became an official. You know, one of the the four on air members, and then we do right. We also do have a kind of a separate show that he's been doing the the betcast. And the bet one cast, nice thing yeah. about this Streamyard is you can create all these different brands, and we've got other ideas that we've been talking about where we might have mm-hmm. other little offshoots of the Redcast, maybe in some different ways, and we're kind of exploring those too. Well, that's exactly what this is, Honky, is mm-hmm. the fact that the Big Red Roundtable is us hanging out with the Cuzcast for an excuse to just drink a little on screen and <laughs> talk <laughs> Husker football and invite other people in to kind of be a part of it. Uh, and then Scott and I, of course, are going to hop on here and do our generation red podcast then uh, next month for the spring game. And then also starting in August again. So mm-hmm. uh, I love StreamYard. I love what they offer. I love the fact that I can just download our audio when I'm done, process yep. it and pop it out onto our podcast app. So uh, hey guys, anybody else uh, here on the stream have any questions for Honky from the Redcast at all? Well, um, there crap. is a, there is a segment of the Generation Red podcast that we have. I'm going to put you on the spot here. 
Um, but one of the uh, segments that we have in our regular season podcast is the fun facts segment where dad and I just come up with some random fact about ourselves that it doesn't necessarily need to be fun. It's just fun facts. Um, and just so that so that our podcasting audience can get to know us a little bit better and and get to know who Scott is and get to know who Ken is and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, honky. What would be a fun fact about yourself that you would like our audience to know? Hmm. Well, I uh, I tried out to be a manager on the team coming out of high school. It had been my senior year, 94. So it would have been the – actually, I'm sorry. It would have been the spring of 95. I was trying out uh, to be a manager on the, on the football team, the Husker team. Uh, when Beringer and Frazier were going through their battle their senior year, uh, Frazier was even returning punts because if you remember mm-hmm. at that time too, they were trying to get him some NFL eyes, and he was he wasn't going to return yeah. the punts during the actual season, of course. But in practice, at least get him some practice with that, and maybe that's something that he could he could boost his draft stock a little bit. So one of the roles during being manager, I'm on the field and I'm handing the ball to Aaron Graham, who was the deep snapper, to Jesse Cush, who I played with at Skoda's. And Kush is the punter, and he punts it, and he's kicking it to the different returners, Reggie Ball and all those guys. And one time, Frazier catches it, and, you know, they catch it. They do a little move, run about 10 yards, and then they throw the ball back to one of us, and then we give the ball to Aaron Graham, and we just keep repeating the process. And there was one time where the punt goes to Frazier. He catches it. He does a couple little moves, and then all of a sudden he kind of stops. He's ready to pop and throw it to me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm playing catch. Tommy Frazier, he's going to throw me the ball here. <laughs> And he winds up and throws the worst pass I've ever seen. I mean, it went up here and I, I just like, boom, I caught it up there. And like, I can't believe I caught it. And he just looked at me and he went like that. And I was like, wow, that was, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. But, uh, you know, I had to stretch for it and, uh, you know, but anyways, uh, that's uh, my Husker fandom has been there from, from the beginning. My, my first memories, I was a first grader and watching uh, the Orange Bowl, the two-point conversion game in 83, 84. Mm, yeah. And uh, that's really my first year of, of watching Husker football from start to finish was the scoring explosion year. So I remember every single thing from the 44-6 victory over Penn State in the inaugural kickoff classic all the way to the to the Orange Bowl and everything in between. And that's, for me, probably one of the reasons I'm, I'm the type of fan I am is I got accustomed to, hey, you're number one from start to finish. You have the Outland winner, yeah. the Lombardi winner, the Heisman winner, the the first and second picks in the next year's draft. I mean, all those things. And um, it's just, I think that was a, a way that kicked off my fandom. Hey, Honky, was uh, Tommy mm-hmm. Frazier a better returner or was he a better passer? Well, <laughs> he, 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 he caught all the, the punts. So, I mean, I give him, <laughs> give him credit there. The thing with him as a passer, he made some throws that, not every quarterback could make. You think about that two-point conversion to Eric Alford required – I mean, you had to throw a laser between probably, you know, 10 different canes, and he can do it. He can complete that, but there's other ones. You go back and watch some of those old games, and it's painful. Sometimes the accuracy on other plays weren't there. Um, you know, and he he, he was – I think it was Sporting News, if, if I remember right. Sporting News had him as the quarterback of the century. And I don't know how you can argue it. I mean, he was 33 and three as a starter and he, he was the only guy to ever be the MVP in three straight national championship games. I mean, unbelievable stats. And yet he wasn't a career 50% completion guy. He was 49. Yeah, 49. Point something. yeah. And so to be a 49% completion guy, but yet to be the number one quarterback of the century 
and again, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think it shows, you know, the quarterback is more than just throwing a ball from here to there. It's that you're the distributor, you're the leader. And I mean, the guy was flat out a winner. He wasn't always the most liked guy on the team, but man, the dude just won. Absolutely. You mentioned the 1983 uh, season and the orange bowl. That was, I, I was 16 years old. I lived in mm-hmm. Arizona. I was born and raised in Arizona. And, uh, that Orange Bowl was the day I became a Husker fan for life <laughs> because Tom Osborne went for two. Yep. That made me a fan for life. And uh, then I met my wife, who's a farm farmer's daughter from Giltner, <laughs> like six <laughs> years later, five, six years later, when she moved to Arizona, of all things, and then dragged my ass up here to the frozen tundra a few years later. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty cool. That's that's a great story, man. You I'll tried t- out you, to be a manager. Sorry, I'll tell you my fun fact. I drink entirely too much because I don't remember any of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think you hold a candle to Justin, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> well, he I know does he live in remember. Waco. There's a reason he, he drinks. He lives in freaking Waco. So he doesn't he doesn't remember our podcast the next day, usually. <laughs> yeah, he's well, always, not, he's always one of our listens because he always has to go back and listen to what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Tommy Frazier again? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, guys, I suppose we should move into the show and talk about the stuff that all zero of our viewers want to watch us talk about. Um, <laughs> and that would be Spring Camp storylines. Uh, I asked all of you guys to kind of come up with something to talk about. And, and, and Honky, since you are our guest tonight, uh, you can you and Rob kind of came up with wide receivers and running backs. Is there anything specific about that position? Is there a dark horse, somebody that you've heard about in camp that has kind of uh, got a little bit of buzz? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think for both of those positions, I, what I what was attractive to Rob and I to talk about it was just the the fact that there's so much change at those spots right now, and that, and that's from the coaching mm-hmm. down to the to the players and new transfers coming in and everything. Um, those are two areas that uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of talent there, but it just looks different. And that starts with the coaches. I mean, obviously, Ryan Held and and uh, I guess Lubick, that, you know, those are the coaches from a year ago. They're both gone, replaced with uh, Brian Applewhite from TCU and then Mickey Joseph. I mean, that, it feels like we hit out of the, the park with both of these hires. And it's guys yeah. that are real pros and experts at what they're coaching. Not And, again, I hate saying it about them that way because then – it implies that the guys before weren't pros. I don't ever intend it like that, but I'm just saying these dudes, these guys are pros at coaching those very specific spots. Mickey Joseph has two of the top three or four receivers right now in the pros with Chase and Jefferson. And, you know, and these are guys mm-hmm. that highly accomplished guys. And, and then also you throw in the recruiting element of it. It's just that these guys can step in on day one and, I was a little bit concerned, like, let's start with receiver. I was a little concerned that maybe some guys, you know, Xavier Betts or somebody might transfer at the end of last year, right? Mm, And then you bring in Mickey Joseph, and the second that he gets in there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we've got a coach here that, you know, guys would kill to play for. And and any of those concerns went away. It's like he's – not only is Joseph going to, you know, calm the the storm in those rooms, but he's also going to go out and start bringing in his own guys. And then, you know, the coldest Crawford and obviously bringing Palmer in the transfer from LSU. I mean, immediately you start seeing the new guys in addition to the fact that, you know, he's retained all those guys. There's so much talent in that space right now. Um, That really Mm -hmm. has me excited. 
What did you think of the uh, move to Omar Manning to the slot? Well, I know Whipple wants a bigger guy at the slot, but then at the same token, you know, they're still playing. It sounds like at times they'd have like Alante Brown in there too. And I don't know if we can officially kill the the duck R position. I, I don't know if it's still around or if that's, that's something that's over. We, mm. uh, we thought we were really clever on the red cast and called it the husk R and that lasted about <laughs> actually big red wrap up one time had asked a question to, I think it was Troy Walters was the, was the OC and they asked him, can we call it the Huskar? And I don't want to say that I'm not taking credit at, that the Redcast started it, but I, I think we were one of them. But anyways, they asked that to Troy Walters. He's like, no, it's, it's not the Huskar. It's the Duckar. Like, okay. So um, anyways, I think they want more size out of that, that uh, the slot spot last year, they moved Torrey into the slot and saw some, some benefits that came with that Torrey, was a freshman running the slot in Montana. And then they moved him out outside for his next two seasons. And when he came here, he's like, I wanted to get back in the slot because it gave me some more favorable matchups against some safeties and, and linebackers. So he saw the the benefit there. And I think, you know, Manning's Manning's, a, you know, a, he's a lot to handle and, and putting him in some favorable positions. If he's going up against an outside linebacker, let's say on a, on a play, I mean, that's it. He's going to cause some damage. He already was doing it a year ago, but uh, um, I can see why they, they'd want to do that. But the, there's the next play, they're going to have probably Alante in the, in the slot on the next play, right? And do a or jet trade. sweep to him yeah. or something. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I watched a bunch of press conferences over the last couple of days, and uh, Mark Whipple, speaking specifically about the receivers, said that even just one day into spring camp, he saw they got better after mm-hmm. reviewing the film from the very first day. So they're getting better at the top of their routes. They're learning how to see their position through the quarterback's eyes and what mm-hmm. the quarterback expects them to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, and as you said, he's got Omar playing inside as well as outside and that he is blocking quite well on, uh, on running plays, uh, the rest of you guys, you got anything at all about the wide receivers that kind of have stood out to you over the last week or week or so? Because they're all on spring break now, so they're not going to care what you say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll go. Uh, it's probably not so much, you know, everything that uh, Honky said is true, you know, but it's like the some of the names that have not come up that are surprising to me. I think that's a little bit more interesting at the wide receiver area. Like guys like Kamani Grimes and Sean Hardy and uh, right. Latrell Neville. I mean, we mm-hmm. haven't heard much about them, if any, right? And I, I think those were names that I thought that would come up this mm-hmm. year. You know, they've been in the program for an entire year. Uh, you haven't heard much. And even uh, Wyatt Lever. I mean, Wyatt Lever is a guy that has significant playing time, and you haven't heard anything about him this mm-hmm. spring. I mean, good or bad. I mean, I, I just think that's interesting because I, I thought – uh, headed in the season, I thought we had a lot of talent there, a lot of depth. But uh, I mean, I'm sure we do, we do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the, these names, I think that's, I thought that was a little bit interesting. Well, this is kind of, I, I look at that, uh, Justin, as as this is a make or break year for those three guys that they is brought. No, I mean, what, 2020, what they the program? I mean. Yeah, I, it, it's I, well. Technically, it's their third. Didn't they come in in twenty twenty? Like Kamonte no, Grind and those guys. Be, or was it twenty twenty one? It would be their second. Okay, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. My bad. 
But the th- I think the thing is, and I think to Justin's point, he's right in the sense that it's not, and this isn't a bad thing. And I think both of these position groups, running backs and, and wide receivers, are you're going to deal with the same thing. It's you can get recruited over. Now these are good yeah, developers. Right. These these coaches they they will develop their players, and I mean that is that is a trait that both Applewhite and Joseph have. But and, and I'm not saying those three are are out of it yet. I mean you know we're two right. weeks into in the spring ball, but yeah, I mean if you go into next season and you're not playing, and suddenly you know a Victor Jones or Janarian Ban- uh, Ban- Banner Bonner, what I'm terrible with the names, yeah. the, the, yeah. the guy they just brought in Banner, Bonner, Bonner, you know yeah. obviously Palmer. The coldest is is here now. If those guys are playing and you're not, and you've been in the program for a year, then I you're getting don't think the coldest is here yet. I think Mickey mentioned that the coldest is in Louisiana still. He's not showing up until the summer. So yeah. see, is he not here then? Um, he said he said he'd had some maturity things. He needed to stay yeah. another summer, another semester in Louisiana, and mm-hmm. and he's bringing Victor Jones Jr. along really really slow because there's a lot for him to take in in this and he doesn't want to just blow his confidence out right out of the gate. And, you know, speaking of Mickey, he definitely coaches his guys hard. He wants the whiteouts to love the game. And if they only like it, they're not going to work hard enough to be able to play mm-hmm. and says he's going to be on them until they love it and get better each day <laughs> when they practice. And then he mentioned Alante Brown, the fact that he is a wide receiver at Nebraska who used to be a quarterback uh, before mm-hmm. he got here. So he was kind of recruited as an athlete, that's going to play wide receiver. So he's still kind of making that transition. Yeah. Uh, but without a doubt, not only Mickey mentioned him, but you know, Frost mentioned him. Uh, I think Whipple mentioned him as mm-hmm. a dude that's standing out so far in spring. So I look for Elante to do some stuff this year. Yeah. Go ahead, Derek. I, I think there's a little concern with that though. And I know me and Justin have had this conversation already, but it seems like every year we're bringing up Elante Brown. Like, it seems like every spring this this guy gets brought up, and I'm not trying to crap on the guy or anything, but it does feel like every every spring we're talking about this guy and what what he's going to do for the team come fall, and then fall comes around and it's like you see him on kick returns catching fair catches, and that's about it. Yeah, well, and I, and I agree with you. I agree with you, mm-hmm. Derek. But he also didn't have a position coach like uh, Mickey Joseph coaching him. He had what Troy Walters for a year, and then he had. Uh, the skinny kid that used to work at a freaking drive-through bank window for two years. So, uh, I I think he's got a better shot at making a difference on the team with Mickey pushing him than you know somebody like Lubick who I don't know he's what that, that may be six, that may 145 be. pounds. That may so, be, but you just yeah, you still there's still like be some concern there about him. I, yeah, boy, I, I, I hear you. I think the the concern is fair. The reason I preface the whole conversation about those position groups with the coaches before I even start talking about the players is just to illustrate how different things are. You're right. I, I got tired of watching fair catches um, with with uh, you know our, our whoever was returning a, a, a kick, but yeah, it doesn't matter. What, if it's a kickoff or a punt return. Yeah, it didn't matter, right? But now you have Bill Bush in there. There's a, there's a major change now. Waving it, the fan, waving the yeah, hand to catch. It could. Yeah. None of this guarantees anything. This is where, you know, I've, I've changed my tone from the first couple of years we did a show where it was like, hey, we made this change and this change is going to just, you know, we're going to go, you know, 15 and 0 next year because of this change. I like every change they've made. I like every coach we brought in. Bill Bush demonstrated success as a special teams coach here already from 2005 to 2007. I mean, we're not, I'm not making up something that I think Bush could be great at it, but it also, until we see it, you know, the realist out there is going to say, hey, until I see it, prove it, right? 
I just know that I like the changes they've made so that, you know, Alante Brown, I think, is going to be in a better position on special teams. I like the coaching he's going to get. Mark Whipple's a huge difference. The, the offense is going to look different um, in, in a lot of ways. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, there's talent there. I, I think from buzz at receiver spot, the two guys that are actually getting some of the, the most buzz right now are, are Alante Brown and then Brody Belt. And yeah. sometimes with like yeah. – it, it, I don't know because it's spring ball and spring ball is a lot of times there's always going to be a, a star walk on that comes out of it. And, um, and that might be belt there, but I mean, you keep hearing it from so many different coaches. That's interesting to me. And I do, I want to take back something I just said earlier about the getting recruited over. I also in the, in the era of the the transfer portal, the Neville and Grimes and Hardy. I mean, I hope these guys fight through it a little bit too. If you, if you were, if they were falling down the, the, um, the, the depth chart, it doesn't mean the first step is just, okay, now it's time to leave. You know, sometimes it takes a guy an extra year and then all of a sudden the dude's a stud in your, your three or four. And, and uh, th- that used to be the hallmark of Nebraska too. And so the transfer portal can be nice. You can bring in some good guys, but it, you also sometimes, you know, look at a, a school like Iowa right now, they almost never touch the transfer portal and they almost don't have a lot of guys leaving it either. I mean, that's as much as we don't, sometimes, you know, Iowa is a dirty word here, but I'll tell you what, they, they must have kind of a culture that guys stick around and, and they have some consistency. I don't think they bring in some of the very top end talent that gets them over the hump, but they have this level of consistency. And when we're flipping coaches and rosters all over the place, then at the end of the year, we go, well, geez, you know, if we just had a little more consistency, that would have been the thing that would have given us eight or nine wins. But you, so, but you, also, have, you also have the Michigan State out there that went out and did all the transfer portal and was a great team this year. Well, great year. is great is. I mean, they had a great record. They were also they were down forty nine nothing at half to Ohio State, and they. I mean, we literally because of our special teams and aptitude, we don't know which side of the field to, to kick a punt to, and we should beat them, right? I mean, there's a lot of things, but to your point, they certainly, they certainly made a huge flip. Nobody was expecting them to have, you know, the, the record that they had. But I'm curious what they're going to look like a year from now with maybe some expectations under their belt because. They, they're oh, primed to fall back the other way. Right. Hundred million dollar right, man, right. right there. That's fair. I, I I remember when we joined the Big Ten. I used to shit on Michigan State yearly, mm-hmm. yearly. We, me and Justin would have hour long conversations. He would call me up and tell me how this was going to be Michigan State's best year. He heard this and read <laughs> that, and I'm like, we hear this every year. Michigan State's never going to be good. Yeah. Next thing you knew, they were making the playoffs, and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, they yeah, never. They got. They got good. They had never beaten us. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we were like, yeah, but it took you four them. years to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, it was it, uh, it, out of all the teams we played in the Big Ten since we've joined. I think the Michigan State games have been the most entertaining out of all of them. Sure, absolutely, without a doubt, Michigan State is the team I want to beat more than any in the East because hmm. they kind of yeah. got that Midwest. Sensibilities to them. They were kind of that run at that too. Well, but they're in our division, so I get it. But um, as far as being in the Big Ten, best games. So we've kind of, unless Scott's got something to say on on the wide receiver side of things. You have anything you want to add to this, Scott? Um, Not on any players, but just honestly, I I friggin' love. Mickey Joseph as a coach, um, <laughs> yep. watching his 26 minute presser, 
dude just got some swagger to him. He's got just a just an insane amount of confidence mixed with competence. Um, that yeah. If if there's any guy who's gonna like really whip our our wide receiving room up into shape, like he's the guy to do it. Um, I guess one of the things that did pique my interest was yeah the kind of speculative shift of Omar Manning going to the inside uh, inside mm-hmm. slot position because I I wonder if it's not just simply because he can he can really put on a block with just his absolute size and physical dominance and intimidation. Mm. But I wonder if there's some shiftiness with Omar Manning that we just haven't seen yet. Maybe him being on the outside, we've just seen his breakaway speed and maybe he's got some shiftiness that we just haven't seen yet. Um, And if it, if Mickey Joseph, Mickey Joseph saw that, then I'm kind of excited to see that. Um, But no, that's see where he lines up on the spring game. Right. So you can yeah. line up in the slot first or outside because they're playing them on both spots. I'm sorry, Scott. I didn't mean to re- interrupt you. No, I'm looking forward to that, too. I think that'll be um, a tall tale sign of, of things to come, just depending on where Omar Manning lines up. If if it if it's Alante Brown, that's the first guy out there. Um, and yeah, Brody Belt, like the fact that they've mentioned him so many times is like, hmm. Maybe he has been a hidden gem that we haven't necessarily uh, we haven't necessarily given its full uh, like mm-hmm. palette yet. You know, like let's let's see what he can provide in like a skill position that yeah. Duck are Husk are. I know me and my dad ever since we heard on the uh, on Red the cast. Uh, Redcast talk <laughs> about it, we've just been calling it the Husk are. Um, yep. So. Yeah, no, I'm I guess the my biggest takeaway is just I just love Mickey Joseph and the way that he conducts himself and he seems like those one of those guys that uh if I were a player and he were my coach, uh he would have like this this presence that not only am I scared of him, but I love him and I want yeah. to do everything to impress him. Um and that's yep. something that I don't think we've had in the wide receiving room ever since frost took over yeah it's a family thing there and you see that with priscilla his wife on on twitter and i mean she talks about how you know the she talks about players that they've had at lsu and you know previous stops you know uh before he was even at lsu that you know just how how close they get and uh i think you're right with manning to the blocking piece of it go back and watch the northwestern game last year and some of those those options that were breaking and everything and you'd see him 20 yards down the field and I've never said – I don't think you'd have to be a big receiver to be a good blocker. I mean, you go back to the 90s and the itty-bitty committees of, you know, <laughs> Abdul Muhammad, and those guys were the smallest dudes, but you wouldn't want to mess with any of them. Um, but if all things are equal and you happen to be 6'4 and 225 and you have the the want to to be a good blocker, you know, watch out. That's pretty good. I, one guy I do want to mention mm-hmm. too, Isaiah Garcia-Castanenda, the, uh, the transfer, and he kind of transferred under the radar because it happened so <laughs> early. It was in December still – and it kind of before mm-hmm. all the other transfer portal stuff happened, but he's the one that came from uh, New Mexico State, and he's got some speed. And you know, the, I'll be interested to see in spring game is he doing some stuff on special teams, and what does that look like? I mean, he, you know, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent. Oliver Martin. I mean, there's well, there's some players. Wait, Oliver Martin? Well, and the talent still still there. Got some speed. It keeps he speed. keeps getting mentioned. Uh, yeah, Mickey no, mentioned him in his. He, pre- he, he's very catches with the best so. of them. 
Yeah, he, I mean, he was he was on track to to win the Blitnikoff through one game last year, and then you know, it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, he he had a disappointing <laughs> season. I mean, I don't know whose season who had a more disappointing season. You know, Cade Warner's last year or Oliver Martin's oh. last year. You know, I mean, that's like it's a, it's a toss up between those two. Headed into the season for both those guys had high you know high expectations, and they yeah. both fizzled mm. out. I mean. I mean, the difference about- the difference between Oliver Martin and I'd say Cade Warner is that wasn't it like four consecutive incomplete passes thrown to Cade Warner, like all in big moments? Like it he, seemed like it. I he mean, had a couple of touchdowns that were dropped, and and when you're kind yeah. of the possession receiver, specifically, and the captain, yeah, and the captain. <laughs> there's never a uh, there's n- there's no. Preci- there's no receiver position where it's like, Hey, this is good to be the, you know, the slot guy can drop the ball or the deep guy can drop the ball. Right. I mean, you're, <laughs> the idea is catch it. Right. And, mm-hmm. but when you're specifically that possession receiver guy, that was what Warner was supposed to be. And he was just very inconsistent that last year, Martin's supposed to kind of be able to blow the top off a little bit more. We didn't see a whole lot of that. Um, no. th- there was one deep one that he had against Illinois. Again, I don't know how injured he was too after that point. He certainly missed some games after that. And yeah, I mean, and for what it's worth, I believe he's a. I think he's a walk on right now. Still, I, I, I think he he got a scholarship, but I, I want to say he's a walk on right now. And I hope I'm not wrong by saying well, that. Well, so on uh, the scholarship distribution chart that I'm looking at right now, it does have him on there. As does it? Does it list him? So. Um, okay. You know, and and so right now, I mean, there's there's really it's just going through the whole list and just saying there's a lot of bodies there right now, and I wouldn't be the slightest bit shocked uh, at the end of the the year if you know with the transfer portal, some guys might walk out a little bit. That's what um oh who's the guy just a uh, two right before spring ball is Will Nixon, yeah Nixon, the, the, yeah, Will Nixon. dad's the coach. Yeah. Um, you know he. he I was a little surprised he left exactly when he did because I figured you kind of do it at the beginning of the semester or you do it after spring, but he he did it when he did it. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen in a couple of these groups. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How about running back? You got anything on that honky that you wanted to talk about tonight? Just uh, it's another one of those. They have numbers. Now they had the same thing a year ago. We were talking about six guys the whole off season right now. Anthony Grant is the big junior college transfer. That's, uh, getting a lot of talk right now, a lot of buzz. Ramir Johnson is almost forgotten about because, you know, we're, there seems like there's been so much change, but I think Ramir is going to be right up there, you know, getting starter and, you know, definitely a lot of reps. Uh, mm-hmm. Yant, you, you watch the videos of him and uh, he looks like he's in great shape right now. That's the biggest thing. He really mm-hmm. physically looks like he's, <laughs> he's put the time in and that's, that can be a scary thing if they use him well. Now he goes out and gets four carries for like 50 yards in the first half against Purdue. And he's, you know, it's only four carries, but he, he made a clear difference. And I remember at halftime tweeting out a poll saying, you know, how many carries should Yant get in the second half? 10, 20, 30, or 40. And it's a total joke poll, but the point was feed the guy, right? Yeah. And he ended up yeah. getting a total of six carries for 60 yards. So he only got two carries for like 10 more yards the whole second half when he was dominating them on the game. Clearly on the, running. Yeah. Clearly running. And for all the run the damn ball guys out there, and I consider myself to be one of them, it's we're going to throw the ball with Whipple. But my gosh, if you've got something that's working like that, if you can get 10 yards of carry off of a guy, you know, yeah. you've got to be able to feed those guys more than that. And, you know, I mean, that's that's happened for a while. We had De- Dedrick Mills had 11 
what was it, 17 carries for like 180 yards against Wisconsin three years ago. He was averaging 11 yards mm-hmm. a carry, but he only got 17 carries. And I know that I think they said that he was there's some injury stuff. Well, geez, you know, mm-hmm. what, man, when we play a Jonathan mm-hmm. Taylor or one of those guys at Iowa or Wisconsin, it's amazing how some guy will have 30 carries against us. And and if something's working, they're not going away from it. Right, right. I remember um, one of the things I watched a couple of days ago was uh, running backs coach um, Ryan Applewhite said that in practice, they are setting the line of scrimmage at 35 to 40 yards from the goal line with mm-hmm. the idea that they're going to score TDs every time they run a play in practice. Granted, they're touching off, but Brian mm-hmm. has told his guys, I don't care if you get touched. You're not down yet because they didn't tackle you. Finish. Go score. Get used to running across that goal line. And I'm kind of sitting here wondering, where the hell was that mentality the last four years? And, uh, you know, he's always saying they got to keep them. He's he's always saying something. He's keeping them on their toes all the way through practice. He stresses footwork and hitting the hole at the right time because he used to coach offensive tackles and defensive end or uh excuse me tight ends uh back in the day at Colorado State if i remember right and uh he learned real quickly based on how those guys work uh it's real easy for a running back to either hit the hole too fast or not hit it fast enough and turn a 10 yard what could be a 10 yard run into a 2 yard loss so he thinks his time coaching O-line and tight ends has given him a better perspective on how to coach running backs, which with this coaching staff has always had a philosophy of everybody needs to be good at something, more than one thing. And uh, I think Frost kind of realizes that his coaches need to be good at something besides just coaching their position group. And I think that's pretty important. Uh, he also said that uh, Ramirez got good feet. He's got great speed, and mentions mentioned what he likes, what he's seen from Riola uh, for the offensive line up front. So, <clears throat> I don't know if any of you guys have anything else to say about the running backs, uh, but go ahead if you've got something. Well, I'll I'll say this: the only thing I'll say about the running backs is, and this is this is one thing I didn't like about Held. And I I don't mean to put Held on a spot or anything. But find a damn running back and stick with him a little bit. Yeah. I, I, Honky, you kind of alluded to that uh, about, you know, f- feed the guy. He's hot. Give the hot, they give the hot hand the ball. Uh, we haven't had a consistent running back since Zigbo. I mean, that was the last time we really had a truly consistent And he wasn't back consistent forward. until about four games into the yeah. 2018 season, right? He had to find a yeah. rhythm. I mean, yeah. I understand that you can't, you, you can't have the same guy run the ball every single time. I understand that. And you're going to have to have some kind of rotation. But I think you need to keep the rotation somewhat limited rather than four or five, six guys running the ball throughout the year. Hmm. Um, yeah, we hear about like bell cow or what's a bell cow or not. I, in a perfect world, right? if I could have 2,000, let's say it's 2,400 yards rushing that we're going to run for out of the running back spot, I'd love to have 1,200 yards come from your starter, 100 yards a game, right? Okay, yeah. there, there's mm-hmm. your starter. And if a backup comes in and – your top backup is giving you 800 yards and your third string guy gives you 400 yards. There's 2,400 yards. That's 200 yards a game of rushing offense specifically mm-hmm. from your running running back spot. And knowing that you still might run for another 30 or 40 yards a game with some wide receiver and something that 
I thought was mm-hmm. potentially going to go away. The second we hired Whipple, I thought we're going straight to getting the the pickets out there, those kind of uh, quarterbacks. And, you know, back in December when we didn't get the USC transfer quarterback and some of the other ones, I was like, fine. I, I'm a mobile quarterback guy to begin with. I'm ecstatic yeah. that we went after and got Casey Thompson. And that's what Whipple and Frost want in this offense. Uh, Purdy brings some mobility to it. I, I still mm. like some of the mobility that some others can give you and, and Harburg obviously too. I mean, we don't need to run it 25 times a game like, like Martinez would, but I like the mobility. And that's the thing that I've always said, geez, if, if Iowa just had a quarterback that would be more mobile, you know, if, mm-hmm. if Wisconsin had more of the, the Russell Wilson QBs than some of the guys they've had in the past, man, that would be the thing that would take them over the, the hump. And that would be the thing that would really scare me about, about those guys. I've mm-hmm. never been scared about their quarterbacks. But mm-hmm. it's what they do in the line, and it's what they do. You know, they're fullbacks, and they're two tight ends, and they just beat you up. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what we used to always do. That's yeah. that's, that's Wisconsin is running what we used to run in so many ways, except at the QB spot. Um, I I have a question I would like to pose to the cousins and to you, Honky, is that I know that Whipple has a past first kind of mentality, uh, but with Brian Applewhite as our running backs coach and with the wisdom that I think uh, Mark Whipple brings to the Husker uh, Husker squad. uh, Do you really, do you think that even though we might have a pass first mentality that we'll actually have the wisdom and the experience and the choice mentality of if it isn't broken, don't fix it in the sense that if we get a run game going and we find somebody who starts mm-hmm. to get catch a little bit mm-hmm. of fire that we'll actually have the wise choice making decision in our coaching staff that we can actually have a running back get a rhythm um and they'll be able to recognize it when when it's actually happening and just let it happen that we don't have to Oh, you know, we got a few explosive running plays. And because of that, we can use that to set up this stupid, lucrative passing game again. You know, like if it, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Do you think we'll see a little bit more of that quite possibly this season? Honky, you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly hope that if something's working, you want to see it continue to be used. You also would like to see it set something else up. I mean, if we're – it's. If you're running double tight, I don't care if you're in shotgun or under center, although it's nice that I think we're going to do a little more under center um, as well. But uh, if you're doing some double tights and you run the ball on a team and then you can play action off of it and throw it to a tight end, makes sense. I mean, it's it, it's building off of something. Um, I You know, whether it's pass first or run first, I, I want to be able to run the ball when we have to run it. And watching Pitt last year in the first game, they played at Tennessee. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're at an SEC school and everything. And at the end of the game, Pitt had the lead. And they basically, they didn't need to score. They just needed to run the clock out. And they were able, they weren't, I don't think they were a great running team, but they were able to get a couple of first downs, run the clock and basically end the game. And that's what I, when you, when you can run the ball when you need to, and when you want to run the ball and the the other team even needs you, knows you're going to need to. I mean, they had a fullback at times on the field, you know, and (laughs) that was a dirty word here. Fullback. Well, geez, Whipple. Whipple has gotten under center. He's had a fullback. He's recruiting a mobile QB right now, or at least dual threat QBs. I mean, uh, hey, if you want to bring a good pass game with all that, I'm I'm here for it. Put some tight ends on the field. I mean, we can 
we can get a little old school and, and Rayola, everything that we hear about what they're trying to run with the uh, the offensive line. If I've heard anything that's different about about how it's something's being coached, you hear it the most in the O line with basically kind of a transition from the zone blocking to what the dry blocking, the 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 gap blocking, man blocking that we're doing right now. And that's where you know I've heard a number of guys, Bob Sledge, a former Husker, that uh, his son is Sam Sledge is the the recruit on the O line, saying how you know every drill that they do on the O line is ten yards. You're going to go 10 yards. This isn't just, you know, hit the guy and put your hand up on him. We're going to drive you 10 yards. We're going to move people. Um, we can be pass first if we're doing all those things. <laughs> I don't care because we're going to we're going to be physical. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I mean. It's hard to, hard to disagree with that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was just basing all of this off of my incredibly proficient experience of playing in CAA 2014. <laughs> um, and <laughs> – my obviously pristine ability to read the defense whenever I would, uh, you know, just run it up the gut over and over and over again until they pull their, they pull their uh, linebackers forward a little bit, see if they're doing some zone or if they're doing a blitz and, and play it off of that, you know, but yeah, no, that was, that was cheesy of me to bring that up, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love me some NCAA 14. But. So part of me thinks that, like, Scott Frost, what he really wants to be is a pass-first guy, right? Are you guys getting that impression? That that's, that's oh, yeah. what he truly wants to do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's why yeah. we've seen it. That's why we've seen it for so, so long and so often is just the fact that it just seems like like once we get something going in the running game, it – it's like, oh, we got some, we got something going. Let's let's set up for a pass play, but we just haven't necessarily seen it actually come to fruition. And I think if there's anybody who can actually get that done right with with Scott Frost being in that CEO position, uh, it could definitely actually come to life with with the running backs coach setting some stuff up, and then the wide receiving coach ready right in the background, like, all right. Here's our here's our chess here's our chess game. Let's mm. let's think ahead here. I just I, I feel like we're we're a series of contradictions the last four or five years as yeah. a, as an offense because I mean I've gone to coaches clinics. Uh, yeah, I went to the first two that be prior to the to the the COVID and and so you don't get to watch them. I've been doing that going all the way back to to Solich and you get to hear coaches talk and everything. I mean Frost will tell you every time. I mean we want to be physical. And we want to run the ball. In fact. When he first got here, it was we want to have Husker power with with Oregon speed. That was kind of this. That was the combination that we were going to put together. But at the end of the day, we en always ended up being such a quarterback centric running offense, and yeah. that was the, what I want to see in, in in talking about Brian Applewhite and his group. And why I say I want to see twenty four hundred yards out of the running back spot is that spot needs we need to be I back you running back you again. Those mm -hmm. running back need to be and let's say. I'm just throwing names out there, but Ramirez, the, the 1200 yard guy and Anthony Grant, your 800 yard guy and, and Jackie's Yance, your 400 yard guy in that scenario. If that's how it played out, look at the different types of guys. I mean, Yant gives you 400 yards, but they're going to be a different 400 than the other two. And they might be the physical, you know, downhill running third and one, you know, I was pissed off as anything at the Illinois game last year when it, the, the fumble that Martinez had on a, yeah. I think it was a third and one. We had heard all offseason about how we're going to get downhill running. Remember there, that's the yeah, catchphrase, mm -hmm. downhill running. So we get into third and one, and we have a, a diamond set to the left, four wide receivers, 
They shotgun the ball to him. He, you know, he misses the open guy was supposed to be Martin. Apparently he misses the throw or doesn't, doesn't catch him at the right time. So then he takes off to run, switches the ball from pass to run. And in the process of it, that's when he fumbles and they pick it up and it's a, you know, a touchdown return. And I'm sitting there going, that's a whole lot of work to get one stupid yard when you've gone out and recruited Step and recruited Yant. And we've heard all this garbage about downhill running games. Look, I mean, the run the damn ball guy has has a, a legitimate gripe, too. I mean, that is that's get the damn yard. And there's just a number of times close the game out. What they did, what Pitt did last year at Tennessee, I would not call Pitt this big physical team but they closed right. the game out doing it in a physical way at an SEC team. And I think we can be better than that. So let's do it. You know, yeah. the, the run, the run, the ball guys will change their minds when the passing, if the passing offense starts working, mm-hmm. you have to be able to effectively run it. I get it. And I'm not arguing mm-hmm. with, I'm not arguing that, that there's going to be scenarios. And you, you talked about closing out games, you get into your goal line stances. There's times that you're mm-hmm. going to have to be able to run in it, run it physically. And last year you started seeing it with Chancellor Burlington and they're blowing people up and he was making great, a hole yeah. for it. It didn't matter who had the ball. They had a hole the size of a Mack truck. I mean, really didn't matter. Uh, but, but again, I, I don't think if we, again, you're right about if we need a yard, we need to be able to get that yard and there's a good gripe there. And I, and it shouldn't have to come from a quarterback. It just shouldn't. Absolutely. That That's the thing. And, 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 and that's where I guess my concern always was, was, so was this a uh, we don't trust our players or we didn't trust our coaches? We just didn't seem to trust the running back position at all the last three or four years, especially the last three or four years. I, I think I, one of the reasons we picked running backs and wide receivers is those two position groups are probably two of the most maddening ones over the last couple of years from a rotation standpoint, like you know who's playing, who's not. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the year last year at the wide receiver spot, it was like we couldn't get Manning and Betts on the field at the same time. And nothing against a kid like Wyatt Lever, as an example, but he was playing the majority of the snaps against Illinois. And again, I love walk-ons. I love all, I love all of that. But I'm sitting there going, but I, we were also told all offseason how good Manning's going to be and how dynamic Betts is. Why aren't those two on the field? And then to your point, the running back spot, um, the one running back I didn't mention here, and, and it's, he's coming off the injury, I don't know how different things would have gone last year if Irvin could have just stayed healthy. I really like Irvin. I thought he did a lot of great things. The injury, mm-hmm. you know, I think hurt us um, for a number of reasons, but maybe he's the guy that could that could be the, the next Ozigbo consistent dude. But even Ozigbo, they didn't play him for the first four games that, that oh, year right. because they were playing Bell. And yeah. it took, you know, and then you had to, you had to work your way through Bell to get to Zigbo, and then they finally brought something out of him that he was never got out of him during the Riley era. So um, he was almost a success story from held and 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 this offense. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, between Maurice Washington and down yeah. the road, yeah, I mean, we just never had the next guy. I, I think I, I don't think the uh, wide receiver coaches have done anything to help their position. When and, and I'm talking about Walters and uh, mm-hmm. Lubick here. Uh, because and, and we, this is one of the most frustrating things I know for Justin and I, we've talked about many times, mm-hmm. is that they always come out and try and talk about how they have eight rotation guys. We got eight guys that could be out playing. Yep. And, and then we see three guys play every game, and only one of them's catching the damn ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's like, where's, where's these other five guys at? How come we can't get any work out of them? We talked with Sipple. A couple of years ago, and it would have been the last year. So it would have been the second, the end of the second year of, of Frost. 
And he was telling a story about he was talking with Frost in November towards the end of the second season. And he and Frost was showing him some film. And it was basically of the receivers at that time not being in position, not doing there were just certain things. It was practice film, but it was this didn't get done right. You know, this guy didn't make the right, you know, break here. Some of it was stuff that like to to most of our eyes, you know, just a you know, unless you were like a 20-year vet coaching, maybe we wouldn't notice some of these things. But Frost is like, this isn't being done to the level I, I want to see it done. So what happens a month later? Walters is gone. Now, does that mean so Walters is this horrible, terrible coach, right? Well, he was just in the Super Bowl. And yeah, and you exactly. know, at the same token that something didn't work before, it doesn't necessarily mean that these are all bad guys. I love, you know, Greg Austin. I think Ryan Held was 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 awesome, but for whatever reason, something didn't work here. And it doesn't mean it won't work for them somewhere else. It doesn't mean zone blocking is bad. It just meant it didn't work here. And I, but but the, all the moves they made, they need to work this time. I mean, I think we all know that there isn't a, there's not like a third revamp that you can go through. It, they, this has got to work. And they hired really good people. I mean, this is really these are really good dudes that they brought in. Well renowned renowned guys. Whipple just had the Heisman finalist and a Blitnikoff award winner. And, you know, we talked about what Joseph's done and these guys, Bill Bush is highly acclaimed. I love the story of, of Bush and Joseph being in the LSU locker room after the championship with Stogies, basically mm-hmm. talking about how cool would this be to do this in Lincoln? Mm-hmm. They're talking about that in the damn locker room after a national championship game. That's awesome. And that's, that's what these guys bring. And, and that's not to disparage anything before it just, I'm looking ahead. I'm looking straight forward. And I, I like what I'm, I like everything they've done. Now it's time to see it on the field. And you know, that's the real assuming will come out and say, yeah, prove it now. You know, let's see it. We've heard a I lot. Complete, of talk yeah. Go ahead, Derek. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying we, we've heard a lot of talk. It, it, it's time to see it on the field. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's time to see it on the field. And I think um, part of the reason uh, seeing it on the field hasn't happened yet is because the line of scrimmage, uh, at least on one side of the ball, hasn't exactly been up to snuff. <laughs> and I think all of us would agree that the hire that Frost made for the offensive line is at least at this point questionable at worst and maybe curious at best. Uh, but I put out a poll on uh, on Twitter couple about five days ago about which side of the line of scrimmage do you feel most comfortable about offensive line and slash tight ends or defensive line and outside linebackers and uh had a grand total of 39 votes because uh i don't have a whole lot of followers on twitter yet (laughs) and um we had 23 votes for defensive line outside linebacker and 16 votes for offensive line tight end so Let's move into some discussion about that. As far as offensive line, Frost, Whipple, Joseph, Applewhite, and players like Garrett Nelson and Ramir Johnson have all pointed out that there is a switch in how the offensive linemen are coming off the ball. It sounds like either a concerted effort to put a narrative forward that the offensive line is more aggressive or the line is indeed playing a more notable aggressive style. Frost said in his first press conference uh, at the beginning of spring that he was, or no, it was I think it was on Wednesday, just last Wednesday, that we, he was frustrated with how the line had played before. So my question to you guys that you need to answer for me is uh, how the hell 
Did Austin stay employed for four years if Frost was frustrated with this patty cake style of offensive line play? So we'll start with you. Um, Justin, why don't you go ahead and start? (laughs) Well, I have no idea. Because, you know, up until like last year, I thought everybody liked Greg Austin. I thought the fans liked him. You know, players obviously liked him all four years. I did. yeah, everybody yeah. liked him. It was just the play last year. So I, I don't I don't know what, you know, Frost was frustrated for how long. I, I don't know. Whatever that is involved there, but uh, we all liked him. I mean, it was, it was a weird scenario where it just didn't pan out last year. So I think anything that you hear now, uh, you know, with uh, Donnie Rayola, you know, when they're – pumping them up a little bit. Well, it's because the offensive line play was so bad last year. And it's trying to like, probably like what you say, kill that narrative that it was bad. And, you know, just trying to move on up. Right. Uh, That it's getting better. You know, we won't know. We won't know until, you know, the first game of the year, how much better it's really gotten. But uh, there are big question marks with his experience. Anything positive that you're hearing, it's like, well, yeah, because he's brand new. You have to say those things. You can't admit that, you know, he's not doing great. You have to say the right things. Plus, shoot, we're only like two weeks into spring camp. So what do we really know? So I, I don't know. It's it's the most interesting position group by far. Well, most yeah, concerning. exactly. Most because, concerning, because, I should say. Yeah, it's concerning. Definitely interesting. Uh for me, it's it's the position group that, you know, if we're going to have any success at all, uh, Casey Thompson has to be able to stay on his feet and be able to make the reads he needs to make. And um, they need to be able to open, open holes for guys like Anthony Grant and Ramir Johnson and those guys. Um, Honky, what do you think about um, Frost being frustrated with uh, the way the line was playing before and now he's pretty happy it seems at least from the comments he's made so far about donovan riola yeah i mean i think if you go back a year ago i mean first off kind of that first question like why why didn't you just fire him if you're frustrated then there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. going on at the time between coming out of a covid year where you've lost millions of dollars that you know that those can be some of the decisions that came into you know hiring and firing coaches and that might have played some role into it but i think generally speaking you know Austin had been with him for five years at that point through the success at UCF, uh, former Husker. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that he, you know, he wanted to keep him around too. What's frustrating to me is the level of play at times that we had last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go out against Oklahoma and you have two penalties on you before we even snap the first damn ball of the game. It's first and 20. You're not setting anybody up for success there. And then of course we get the first down. You know, Martinez goes out and gets us the first down off of first and 20. We make everything so difficult. So if we're going to miss a block or if we're going to, you know, jump off sides or have that holding call, I mean, the mistakes, no matter what you're running, zone or not, are the, the, the mistakes have got to stop. Now, Austin would go out and get three straight years of top 100 recruits. I mean, we'd get Ben Hart and we would get Corker and we'd get Prochaska. And, right. uh, you know, I don't take any one of those guys for granted. I don't take – Prochaska for granted because or Prochaska, dang, I keep calling him. Yeah, I'm getting beat up yeah. on that. Prochaska. <laughs> but anyone that listens and watches the Redcast, I'm terrible with names. We joked about it last week on it. I'm I'm I butcher names all the time. But 
Prohaska. I'm going to get this right. Um, you know, Omaha kid, but you know, he could have gone anywhere. Right. Well, we got him. And, you know, so those are the, some of the areas where there's positive things that were coming out of the Austin era, but um, at the end of the day, the results weren't what you wanted to see. And I think what we can see without building hype, I don't want to, I don't want to be accused of hype, but I think we can see something immediately in a spring game that can say, okay, the blocking is different or the style is different, or there is, mm-hmm. I see the aggression, right? So, so that's good. But that doesn't, again, it doesn't guarantee you anything if you get to the season and, you know, you're you're jumping off sides or missing things or just yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it's prove it still is in place. But I think we can see, I think we'll be able to notice with our eyes, even in the spring game, that this looks different at the very least. Absolutely. Anybody else got any thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. So ahead, I think there's a, I I want to go back to a little more of the concerning parts of the of the offensive line because to me I it's not so much the coach I get the coaching concerns I get it new guy not much experience I know Justin kind of touched on that and I'm with him like what's Frost supposed to say this guy sucks I shouldn't have hired him like why well, you can't say that so of course he's going to pump him up of course he's going to say he's doing a good job uh, we're going to we're going to see it on the field in order to really get a, to get a feel for it but where where, my, where the real concerns are is your two best offensive linemen are out for the spring, and they're both young guys that need need the snaps. Yeah, I I agree. I would agree with that. I mean, all of them, you know, even – I see see some people on Twitter will talk about the youth of the O-line and because they'll they'll reference it, this is a sophomore or junior. And I I try to stay away from some of that because COVID years screw some of these things up. We have fourth-year sophomores and fifth-year, you know – it's not so much that they're young, but there's a lot of inexperience. And to that point, Corcoran's still inexperienced. I mean, you know, he's played one season and one game, right? And and uh, Piper was a guy last year going into it was a third year freshman, and I thought he was ready to take off, man. I thought he was, you know, he's going to be he's going to be a stud, and he struggled last year. He just flat out struggled at times. And not that it, not that he's a bad player, right? I love in state recruiting. Thank God we got him. Um, when we offered him, his only other offer was from Iowa. And guess what? If, if we don't get him, he ends up at Iowa and and he'd be in his fourth or fifth year of development there. And and he's probably a starting tackle for them running us over. Right. So I, I don't <laughs> right. I, I don't want to revise history on that. I just want the guy to get get better. They're switching him. It looks like maybe to center. Um, let's see what he does this year. Now, new coaching always kind of it gives you a, a new chance, new eyes on you. Rayola has an interesting history because, um, you know, he was in the pros. He was an assistant offensive line coach with the Bears, but he also was like a four-year or three-year starter with Wisconsin. You know, and so there's a guy that knows this area, knows this this conference. He's well-respected up there in Madison that way. And and I think the coaches, coaches give you some different areas of expertise from recruiting and all that. You already see Rayola going into Chicago and that area. So that's, a, that's an area that we haven't always been able to hit on as much. So there's a lot of positives, but – I mean, look, everything. I, I, I'm, I'm rose-colored glasses. I'm, I'm, I'm optimist fan, and yet I have realist in me too. And there's that part. It just prove it, you know. And that's all. All you can do is wait. And that, and that's what sucks about this whole whole thing right now is you're going to learn essentially nothing from the spring about that offensive line. Maybe blocking technique, you can learn a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to figure out a, a two deep, you're not going to figure oh. anything. Yeah, and because like no. I said, your two best guys are hurt. We don't know what's what center is going to bring. We really don't know is Ben Hart going to be able to do something somewhere else? Is he going to be an improved tackle? I mean, what's he going to bring to the table? Is he just going to get passed up? I mean, I I 
I think he's going to have every opportunity to be that right tackle. Um, a guy that I, I'll throw this out to you. And I mean, I'm biased because we spoke with him and it, it, we finally did our first uh, player interview a couple of weeks before spring ball. And then we'll wait until after spring to even try to contact future ones. But we did talk with Kevin Williams, the Northern Colorado transferees from Omaha North. Um, and we know our recruiting uh, issues at times in Omaha. Well, I mean, I think he's a big recruit for a number of reasons. Um, I always love getting Nebraska guys back into it, but just talking with the good dude too. I mean, he, I want to see physical play. I want physical offensive line play, no matter what, style you call it i just want to see it be physical and i i'm going to throw that little nugget out there i think that guy you know he's someone to watch right i mean i think he's going to be a factor out there uh, not just for the physicality that he brings a lot of maturity he's a little bit older but also um there's a there's a leadership quality that that he exhibits that i think is really needed in that room a nastiness mm. you know some of that offensive line play you go back to the pipeline of 94 and those guys are all totally different from a from a mentalities Rob Zaska is not Zach Weger. I mean, they are totally different on the, on the, the sides of, you know, Weger was the right in your face. We're going to run right here to this hole and, and try to stop us kind of guy. And Zaska is the 4.0, you know, biomed guy or whatever, you know, now he's Dr. Dr. Rob. And, and so they're all different. And then Joel Wilkes is the, the, the walk-on guy that built himself up. And, and Brendan Stye is the, the All-American dude from California. And there's Aaron Graham. And but they're all guys that have been in the program three, four, five years. They've built themselves up. There's a lot of continuity between them. And at some point, let's find five guys, you know, the best five guys, and let's try to stick with that. Let's try to build some continuity with them. And, and, and if we keep switching dudes around left and right, I mean, we're, you know, that's, that's not a recipe for success either. Well, Frost has always talked about getting old and staying old. Mm-hmm. That, that's a position group we have not been good at doing that with. Yeah, I 100% agree. What that That's a question that kind of popped into my mind as you were talking, Honky, about, about uh, Austin's philosophy was the best five guys are going to play, and all five of them are going to be able to play all the positions on the offensive line. For me – I've always lived and believed that if you're a jack of all trades, then you're kind of the master of none. So, and I think it was either Kevin Williams. I think it was Kevin Williams who said, figure out where the hell you want me to be and then leave me there. Mm -hmm. So do you think Riola is the kind of coach that is going to figure out who the best five guys are at all five positions and he's not going to cross train them quite as much, but make them be a master of that position per se? I think there'll still be some cross training that goes on. Williams talked about very specifically, like I need to get down to 332 pounds if I want to be a tackle, which is was so specific, right? right? And he's at 344. I mean, and, and he's like, I can play tackle, but boy, I love being a grinder in the middle at guard. I can do things you can't do at tackle at that spot. Mm-hmm. And it's it's to your point there. It's the idea that it's not just always so interchangeable. The spots are different, but. There is belief that that you can play on the left side and the right side. And my understanding, if I read something the other day, if I, if I remember right, was that Austin was was more hesitant on moving someone from right to left, um, more hesitant than what Rayola is. But you see it with all the position groups. Travis Fisher talks at nauseum about you're going to play corner and safety and you're going to learn all this stuff, right. right? We just talked about the wide receiver spot and is Manning going to be a slot? Well, he'll be a slot, but he'll probably line up in – on the outside too. And Lante Brown, some points going to probably be in the backfield on a play, right? I mean, these guys have to learn all this stuff. I don't think the O line is going to be any different. 
But if it's at a if it's at a point where you're making mistakes because of it, that that's a whole different ballgame. I mean, the mistakes that we've made the last couple of years, that was as yeah. damning as anything against against Austin, to be honest with you. I, again, I, I keep hitting that Oklahoma game, but you can't start off games first and twenty, you know, with pre-snap stuff. You can't just flat mm-hmm. out have some of the mistakes, mental mistakes that we've had. There was a point against Northwestern two years ago, the, the pandemic year, where all five starting offensive linemen had a penalty on them. And, and yeah. if you remember, there was even one drive. I think we had the lead early on. I, I think we were doing, you know, we were moving the ball against them really well. And we had like three penalties that just kept killing every, all the good things you do, they'd come right back on you. And then we'd miss a field goal or something, you know, because why not? And yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's how you end up games where you've outgained the opponent by 50 yards and you lose. Or we've had games where we've outgained the, the opponent by 300 yards. Illinois back in 2019, Rutgers at the end of the year, we we would right. we put up stats that look like we beat this team by by 38 points, and we'd win by three because when you <laughs> yeah. have turnovers and fumbles and all kind you know turnovers and penalties and and all those special teams mistakes, it's like, come on. So, you crazy. so do you think yeah. do you think that part of the reason why why some of that's going to flip honky is because we've got guys on that coaching staff that have seen every situation possible in college football and could coach these guys through it. I think it, I think that's true. I I I mean, I'm, I'm as, I'm as scarlet colored and biased as shit. I I mean, (laughs) I'll give you that, but I hope, I mean, I love the story. I I think continuity and staffs help. I'll bring up the, the the evil Iowa guys again. They've had two head coaches since 1979. Mm -hmm. That sounds a lot like, what we used to do, right? We had this continuity from 1962 to basically 2000. They go to a bowl game coaches. every damn year. Go to a bowl game. Yep. And there would be times when that coaching staff has coached with each other long enough. I can remember during like the, you know, especially the later years of the Osborne era, there would be some game and we're playing Missouri, somebody, and they come out in some weird defensive front and there's Tennifer and Dan Young and Osborne, you know, it, they, they might struggle with it in the first half, but they would get together at halftime. And it's like, well, do you remember, when North Carolina State did this to us in a bowl game back in 1978. And yeah, what did we do? To, how did we adapt to it? And they would figure it out yeah. on the fly. They had that much institutional knowledge. And that is something that um, I don't know that we're going to have that on day one with the staff together. I mean, they haven't been together that long, but Whipple's 40 plus years and all the things that these different coaches have seen. I mean, my goodness, I, I, I sure as hell hope what you're saying, Ken, is right. I mean, I hope that they, we're going to see a, a, the ability to adapt on the fly, make changes, and and do all that to let's out coach a team. Let's win a game by out coaching a team one time. Oh you know, God, play, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, the, the talent be, level. Look, we've got sweet. the talent to beat anybody on our schedule next year. There's no, I don't have a single doubt about it, that. Let's. We let's had the talent to beat just about everybody on our schedule last year, based mm-hmm. on the results of every game. If we, if you just had Finish some decent game. game management, some decent mm-hmm. special teams, all that kind of shit. Um, now let's go, let's flip over to the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, defensive line, outside linebacker. Uh, that was what was weird with my poll. I was really thinking that most people would be more concerned about the defensive line and outside linebackers than they were the offensive line. And I think part of the reason they didn't vote as highly for offensive line was because of the new coach, uh, defensive line and outside linebackers are now being coached all by uh, Mike Dawson. As we know, he's now the defensive front coach, which is a real nice way of saying 
that some bitch is coaching four down linemen now <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of quote unquote a three four alignment. You're going to see a lot more even fronts. Um, here's just a couple of notes I made. I think this is a make or break year for some of the young guys like Nash Hutmacher. I think he needs to really step up. We know he can lift a lot of damn weight. We need him to take that weight that he can lift and shove some dudes for Iowa and Wisconsin back a few yards into the backfield. Uh, is Jalen somebody like Jalen Weaver going to contribute? Is is Ty Robinson ready to make a huge jump and big be that anchor in the middle like a uh, Christian Peter or Jason Peter did back in the nineties? Uh, Caleb Tanner decided to come back for a fifth year, probably because he was going to be at best an undrafted free agent. And I think he needs to get himself to a level where offensive coordinators are thinking about him when they're game planning. And of course, Garrett Nelson's got a Wistrom like motor, but I think he needs to take his game to a level where he's playing at a Wistrom like level. Uh, and they, I think he and Caleb Tanner both have the raw tools to make offensive coordinators stay awake at night, but they just haven't shown it yet. What do you guys think needs to happen on the defensive line? I'm going to start with you, Scott, believe it or not, my co-host, my cohort, my, uh, my best buddy who keeps me in line every time we do a show. Oh, geez. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely concerned to say the least about our defensive line, if we're going to take a step back, um, I would really like to see Nash Hutmacher step up to the plate and uh, no pun intended with that. Cause homeboy can squat some weight. That's for sure. Um, yeah. If he can, if he can translate that strength onto the field and be just a dominating presence on our defensive line, that would be just a huge win. Um, yeah. I, I'm kind of curious to see that even, that four man front and see if we can really make that work out for us. I know we tried that three man front for, for the last, you know, three, four years, but I think that five years. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's proven itself to be uh, not it's, 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 it's done good in times at times, but there have just been some moments where we get, we get pushed around a little bit by the Iowa's mm-hmm. and the, in the Wisconsin's uh, in the trenches and, with the size that we've got across our defensive line, I would really like to just see some more consistency and, and getting some more pressure pushed back to the, to the, uh, to the quarterback. That's, that's what I want to see. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's a, it's going to be possibly a big headache this year. I think if we, if there's any position that takes the biggest step back, I would say it's probably our defensive line. For sure, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of right there with you. I I'm really concerned at that spot. I know we've got some guys that they're looking at in the transfer portal. I know there's a couple of twins that they've offered, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think they ended um, up at UCLA already. Did they? Did they? Okay, the, the Murphy just, twins from like North Texas. Murphy's. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't like them anymore because they went to UPlans. <laughs> they weren't going to be and, good anyways. <laughs> no, they weren't. If they're going to UCLA, that's because they're soft, right? They don't want to play in the Big Ten. So, good. We don't need them anyway. Um, Justin, what do you think? Depth is an issue. Depth is a huge issue. I mean, the the guys that we lost last year between DeAndre Thomas, Ben Stilley, and Damian Daniels. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of snaps lost. A lot of snaps, and they played a lot. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, There's some talent there, but it's, you know, just by name. 
we, we have to see it like a lot of positions this year. I mean, God, if you look at this year as a whole, me and Derek were talking about this. This really feels like a year one for Scott Frost with oh, all the absolutely. coaching changes and all the players that are coming in. It's this isn't a year five at all. This has all the makings for a year one, just with with everything that's going on. So uh, this is one of many issues, or not many issues, uh, you know, many concerns across the board. You know, experience and coaching changes and the, the playmakers, uh, or you know, just uh, the play style, you know, every, everything it's, it's, I think we'll be okay. Shenander's a good coach. Uh, Dawson's okay, but Teodi was, God, he was a really, really good coach. Yeah, he was. I, that's, that's a huge loss for but me. Having is, one voice for that Tiodi. front four is, is going to be something down the road. That'll be okay. But yeah, I mean, gotta get I, this guy's experience. Go ahead, Derek. I tend to disagree with you guys a little bit here. I, I get the depth issues. I, the depth is a concern. I will not disagree with that. But you give me Casey Rogers, Ty Robinson, Garrett Nelson, and Caleb Tanner on the line, I'm feeling pretty good about that. As long as Caleb Tanner can, I don't know, keep his temper under control and not give me 30-yard penalties. <laughs> are you feeling Are you feeling as good about it with Mike Dawson coaching him as you would have with uh, Tuioti coaching him? Just curious. I, I, I mean, Dawson taught uh, taught. Sorry, coached uh, the defensive line for the first year, and they did pretty good. Yeah, he recruited I, most of the guys that are on the D line right now. Most of the guys that are going to start. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with him yeah. coaching. Tuioti was a good coach. I, I'm not trying to take anything away mm-hmm. from him, but. I mean, let's not forget Mike Dawson was also an NFL coach who got snabbed away from Nebraska to be an NFL coach. Yeah, Dawson, I, I watched him at, at the coaches' clinic. It was the first year, and I watched him. He was the D-line coach, so I watched him doing D-line drills and, and doing tape work. And, I mean, he's he's every bit as qualified D-line-wise as he was outside linebackers. I mean, a ton of experience, many years that he's been doing it. Um, but, yeah, Casey Rogers and, and Nash and, and Ty are all guys that he – he recruited it to begin with. We had a coaching issue at the end of last season, numbers wise, where somebody needed to go. And really we had one too many defensive coaches, so to speak. When if two doesn't leave and you have two linebacker coaches and you have a defensive coordinator and you have a, a defensive backs coach, we only have one opening and we need to hire a running backs coach and a special teams guy. Two leaving made it very convenient, quite honestly, it's an easy move to move um, Dawson in, opens up two slots, and now we have our, our full-time dedicated uh, special teams coach that I, I am a huge fan of Bush. And uh, and then we get to bring in a, a running backs coach who's who's a pro at it. But I think that the depth thing is really in, intriguing me because it becomes a numbers thing of 4-3 versus 3-4. It looks very different. I've mm-hmm. seen the numbers where there's like seven or eight guys get listed as a, as a defensive lineman. And mm-hmm. man, that doesn't seem like a lot of depth for a three-four. But if you go to the four-three, and all of a sudden there's an extra ten guys that are outside linebackers that get moved up into that defensive line, the number game starts to change. Those eight defensive right. linemen really are just the two mm. inside guys. This is yeah. like 1992 all over again. We're going from a five-two to a four-three, and you're transitioning Dante Jones and Dwayne Harris and Trev Alberts from outside stand-up guys to to get your hand in the turf and you're a D end. Outside DNs are moving into D tackles like Bruce Moore did, and and it moves all the way around. You know, the safeties are moving up to linebackers. We're not quite going to that extent, but 
Caleb Tanner is a lot more dangerous, in my opinion, as a defensive end with his hand on the ground than he is as a stand-up outside, outside linebacker. Outside linebacker standing I'm, there trying to read a play. Yeah. yeah. I am I am I'm a four three guy if I just had my preference. Now, having said that, me too. The three four looked better at times than I've seen it at any point in the last five years, last year. And I Shenander knows a hundred times more football than I than I do. And and I don't I don't claim to say that, but but um I, I think that there's elements They'll probably do a little bit of both. If we're in a game against an Iowa or Wisconsin and we need extra extra bulk in the middle, we'll probably put in three linemen and be a three-four, right? The, the three-four right. that they do. But when we're playing Ohio State and the Michigans and the Oklahomas, and we want to get some speed out there, having two D linemen in the middle, you know, let Nash and Ty, or then Casey Rogers comes in for one of those plays. But they're playing those two middle spots, and on the outside, that's where you have. Caleb Tanner, I, I think Nelson's more than capable out there. There's a Mathis kid from TCU that might be one of those transfer portal guys that we could be talking about. Um, dude, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. yo, let's get some speed on the outside there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else got something to add on that? Hockey, are, are you not worried? Are you worried about depth at all on the defensive line? I don't I know mean, if is, I'm. Is there an I, obvious too deep? I don't, yeah, I'm not worried about depth. Necessarily, I mean, I, I we could name a bunch of different dudes. I we could we could the names are there. I'm worried about losing Daniels. Daniels was a difference maker. You watched it yeah. against Iowa two years ago, and Iowa averaged like two point three yards a carry or something on us, very low. And it was he was in the backfield. He's pushing that Tyler. I screw up names all the time. Linderbaum or whatever the their center Linderbaum. who's going to be like yeah. yeah he's going to be like a first round pick. And there were times that Daniels just completely. Um, manhandled the guy, mm-hmm. and Daniels was that difference maker. And Daniels wasn't on the field there um, the last that game big or two. Run. And that there's big run, times, right? yeah. yeah, and and we started to see some of the difference there. And so, you know, someone mentioned it earlier with Nash, and I think Nash is a, a, a you know great kid and everything, and I think he's he's super strong. And this is his chance now to, to shine, and we need a guy like him to to step in there and just not get pushed around. I mean, we got we got to hold our ground with those two dudes in the middle and. And then, uh, you know, there'll be plenty of players around that can make the play. Hold the ground. This is Peter brother mentality. Absolutely. Anybody else got something to say on the defensive line? I was just going to say that uh, to go full circle with the offensive line and defensive line, I think that those are the two positions that we are going to learn the most about the coaching staffs. we're going to see mm-hmm. an Eric Shenander and a, uh, in a, in a, uh, shoot, Mike Dawson. We're going to see an Eric Shenander and a Mike Dawson really get the opportunity to shine and show their coaching skills on the defensive line and, and show their 400 IQ with, with their game planning. Um, I'm really excited to see that. And then same thing on the offensive line. Well, not the same thing opposite thing on the offensive line like I'm as agnostic as anybody when it comes to what in the world Donovan Raiola is going to bring to the table um and I think that we're gonna we're gonna really see oh like make or break really on both sides of the ball but with completely different contexts uh I I have a feeling that uh Eric Shenander is as good of a defensive coach as, as we've actually seen him. And I really think that we might see a step back on our defensive line, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that it'll be that far of a step back. Um, like you said, 
with Daniels. I think that's going to be the biggest contributing factor to how far we step back, but roll the dice. How, how is Nash Hutmacher going to, going to step up to the plate and Mm -hmm. who knows, maybe Marquise black takes a step forward. Um, But yeah, it's completely opposites. Like on the offensive and defensive line, the, uh, the narratives behind them, um, but both are like, I think the cornerstone of a successful season, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh, I agree dude. with you, it, Scott. I it mean, all starts up front. Yeah, right. We don't have time Justin. to get I'm into sorry. it, but I was just going to say, I think we'd take a step back on defensive line and in secondary, but. Um, I, yeah. I don't agree in the secondary though, Justin, because I think there's a lot of dudes that have come in that are going to make that secondary that thought they were going to start this year work that much damn harder which is going to make everybody better tommy hill i don't know i i don't know if you saw the video on twitter but there was a pass or something thrown to omar where tommy hill was on him so it was two number fives going after the ball and both of them high pointed the ball at the same damn time and uh i don't know i know it was just one dang highlight but i'm like holy shit one thing you that know, the Omar Nebraska six foot four and Tommy media Hill's department like does six well. foot one, and he almost out jumped him. So, yeah, Nebraska sports like media that. department they they do one thing really well, and they make hype videos very very well. Oh, I get that. I get yeah, that. They're not they're not going to show the bad plays. That's for sure. I I think, at the very least, we know that what we can't afford to do is we can't have a huge drop off on defense. There's a, there's a possibility. Certainly, look at the. Look, we're going to have the most successful draft that we've had in a number of years, and a yeah, lot of that's going to come four from the dudes are going to get drafted. Yeah, four dudes know, at least, and, and so we can't afford to have a huge drop off on defense. At the same token, um, I mean, like last year, we lost all these you know amazingly close games. Well, if we didn't have the defense play the way it did, they wouldn't have been close games. They would we would have right. had probably a blowout or two against us if our defense didn't step up time and time again. So if the defense takes a little bit of a step back in some spots, it's got to be made up by having better field position through special teams. It has to be offense, you know, converting touch, you know, drives into touchdowns has to be offense making field goals when they're kicking them, all those things. But the defense, I mean, it's going to be hard to replace on the D line uh, Daniels and and Stilly for sure. And and Deontre Thomas too. I think the linebacking core, you know, pretty much brings back most everyone and we could step it up there. I think there's a ton of talent in the defensive backfield. We're losing a lot of experience there with Cam Taylor Britt and the two safeties, you know, leaving. But I love Newsom. I think Hill's a great example there. And we've got some guys that have been, you know, around the program for a while. Plus they brought in, my gosh, seven dudes, I think, on the defensive backs. And it's everything from high school guys to FCS transfers to JUCO guys like Singleton to to transfers like Tommy Hill from Arizona State. So it's not a lack of effort. There'll be bodies. We'll see. We'll see how it how it works out. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, that <clears throat> I look at the defensive line and I see that as a position on the team that could take the biggest step back. Oh, dear God. My dog just ran out here and he's begging to go outside. So, <laughs> Scott, you can take it from here because I got to make sure this little old man. I'll pick up that tootsie roll later. No, 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 no. You don't live with my wife, son. <laughs> we don't need to be picking up Tootsie Rolls. So I'll be back in a bit. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I think what my dad was 
probably about to say was, yeah, it's most likely that the defensive line probably takes the biggest, the possibly the biggest step back of all the position groups, just because of all the talent that we're losing in that position. And then, yeah, I do agree with you, Justin. I, I, I would say a close second would probably be our secondary. Um, there's potentially good Phillips like there, like people that, that fill in for the spots, but we don't know. It's, it, it's, it's all speculative. Um, but, uh, I mean, what do you guys say? What do we, uh, we move on to another topic here. Um, I'm going to ask about... honky something. Um, all right. Send it. Last, so last year with uh, all the super seniors coming back on defense and the defense played well last year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they kept the team, uh, in games all year long. But with the number of super seniors that they brought back, would you say that they met expectations, did not ex- did not meet expectations, or exceeded expectations for what you thought that they would bring? Specifically on the defense or as a, as a team? Defense as a whole, because of defense all the super seniors that came. Back. It, it, I mean, I would say they exceeded they exceeded the expectations. I had like we weren't just we weren't serviceable on defense. We were darn good at times. To, to hold Walker from Michigan State to what you know twenty yards when he was putting up record numbers he had thirteen they had thirteen yards of offense Michigan State did in that second half against us our defense at times were, was downright really good but they'd be put in terrible positions time uh, and time again through time. special team errors and gaffes and 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 turnovers and just they were asked to do so much that uh, you know there were breaking points now those six-year seniors that you're talking about too. I mean, Stilly and Doman. I mean, my gosh, Doman, um, again, I'm a 4-3 guy, but whatever the hell position they want to call what he does as a 3-4 kind of hybrid nickel, whatever, he was just all over the place all the time and making plays in the backfield, but also making plays in the defensive backfield. Um, I... (laughs) We can't afford to have a major drop off on defense. We just that that we can't have. But the other, it's a three part you know game, and the other two parts have to do start doing their part too. That's I thought they I thought they over I thought they exceeded everything I was want, wanting to last year. Did did you see it the same way? Uh, at times, at times, I think one of the things for Nebraska was they would the defense would absolutely show up. They they obviously kept Nebraska in most games mm-hmm. but there were times where they they just did not show up uh i'll, yeah. I'll say like that just minnesota, sorry. minnesota, minnesota yeah illinois i mean that was the one that i i definitely i mean I'll it was say, the first half first half of minnesota most most notably. go ahead derek i'll say this like i know uh adrian martinez kind of gets a lot of bad rep for not being a clutch player but I think there's uh, a little bit to be said about the defense not being very clutch towards the end of games at times, too. When it came time to, oh, we really need this stop, it seemed like they really struggled to get that stop. I, yeah, if, if there was two areas that, that they didn't – they weren't necessarily a big play defense, so they didn't get a lot of sacks and they didn't get a lot of turnovers. And those could have been, you know, one turnover. Think about the Iowa game. I think there was three dropped interceptions that mm-hmm. we could have had all prior to them ending up making field goals against us. Well, that makes a difference, right? So there were moments where the defense couldn't get itself off the field, and I, I totally buy into that. I also I counted it up one time. And it was either 44 or 46 points 
last year that were scored on us in unconventional ways, meaning not scored on our defense. We had a punt yep. return for a touchdown, a kick return. We had a, a punt block for a touchdown. We had a fumble return for a touchdown, an interception return for a touchdown. We have an extra point that gets blocked and returned for two points. We have a guy that catches <laughs> a punt in the end zone, throws it over his head out of, ba- out of bounds hey. for a safety. We had multiple safeties on our offense. Um, those add up. Those points add up, and what it ends up leading you to is you a uh, historic season where we have nine single-digit losses. Never has happened before in college football history. We had eight losses by one score or less. Never happened before in college football history. We put up 239 points in Big Ten play, and we give up 239 points, and we go one and eight. That, mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you Just the law of averages, you should go four and five or five and four if you do that. And so it's a bunch of – it's little things um, – and one stop here, there could have made a big difference for us. I agree in some of those games, but my gosh, we just, if it's, I don't know if it's just a culture of losing or whatever, but you got to find ways to finish close games, get them out, you know, win it, just win it. We did everything to win Michigan state, everything to win against Michigan state. Huh. And we just kick it to the wrong side. I, I just I always think it's funny. I, you always see that meme on, on Twitter with the, three Spider-Mans all pointing at each other. And it <laughs> yeah. feels like Nebraska all over again. Cause you can do that with special teams, offense and defense. Like, yeah, Oh right. no, it's your fault. Oh no, it's your fault. Yeah. I mean, special teams easily alone cost us at least three games last year. Oh, probably five I, or six. The special probably, teams probably cost us the bowl game. Special teams literally cost us a bowl game because oh, oh, the defense easily. played well enough to be a nine and three team. We've said that before on this live stream. We should have been nine and three with the way that defense played. If you if you offense don't end up with cost a, us if you three end up with a block punt against Iowa and get and that gets returned for a touchdown, they don't get momentum. And I think we can continue to beat win easily in that game. Oh yeah. yeah. And you but that completely and, and you knew, like I don't know about you guys, but I knew the second that happened, that game was over. I'm like, oh, we're done. I was in the stadium. Scott and I were both in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happened, they ran it in and we looked at each other. We weren't mad. We weren't upset. We weren't anything. We just looked at each other and went, yep. Yeah. We've Urban, been waiting for Grand this. Grand Canyon sigh. <laughs> we, Urban Meyer. We've been waiting for this. Urban Meyer, you know, was notorious at in his college years. Let's let's throw the Jacksonville year out of the way. But he was also, he was big into specialties. <laughs> I mean, that was his specialty. And he, he talked about a book he read uh, that said that. Yeah. If you block a punt, you're going to win nine out of 10 games. And he goes, that stat has stuck with me for, for the, for life. He goes, there's very few stats in, in football that nine out of 10 times, something will happen if this thing happens. But if you block one punt in your game, you're going to win it nine out of 10 times. And I think back to, I think the last time we blocked a punt was Purdue 2021, you know, 2020, I'm sorry, two years ago, we win the game. It, it's crazy. Yes. And it, actually a great game to watch. Go back on YouTube some night and just watch 1996 Nebraska against K-State. We are in game four of Frost. We've already lost the 19 nothing game to Arizona State. Our offense is just, for the most part, just sucking. It's not really good. And we're playing at K-State, and K-State thinks this is finally the year they're going to beat us for the first time in 30 years, 28 years. Um, our defense did everything you need the defense to do. It, it just shut them down. Our offense couldn't do anything right. Special teams blocks two punts in the first half. Uh, we made four field goals in the first half, including like a 50-some yarder. Chris Brown was doing great. And you go into halftime, and it was an ugly game. We didn't look good because our offense was just stumbling over its feet. And you look at the score, and we're up 18-3. to And I think we ended up winning the game 
And we couldn't do a damn thing right on offense. I mean, it was just a struggling offense. But we won, and I I would watch this, and I'm like, I'm watching a Big Ten game right now. We won yeah. with great defense and we and special teams. We blocked punts, but we also made field goals. Holy shit. Three points here, three <laughs> points there. Wow. Points are nifty. And you'd get done watching games any of the last four years. We get done with these games and man, we put up 500 yards on this team. We have 21 points. How is, you know, at some point it has to equate. If you're putting, and, and that's the thing when we watched Northwestern last year, it's like the, the point total finally matched the output. You're supposed to score right. 56 points when you run on run 300 plus yards on the team. You're supposed to. Well, that was that was also the best our offensive line looked all year too. Yep, was in that game, and and that was with uh, and that was first game that Prohaska started. That. Yeah, Prohaska. That was his first game starting, and Turner Corcoran was on the right side. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's been so. fun, guys. Exactly. Exactly. Hour thirty-five into it. Mm. Yeah, I think we did it. I think we got it done. What do you think? <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, I think I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, well, yeah. Aside from, since I mean, we, we did kind of. Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. I was just gonna say we we kind of rolled right into special teams being uh, important. Um, I guess the final topic, if we wanted to talk about it, was what what do we expect from special teams this year with Bill Bush leading the way and with some of these, you know, punter and uh, place kicker, you know, Brian Buscemi and Timmy Bleak Road and with Trey Palmer taking punts and kicks back. Like, do we see even like a 5% step forward in the right direction with our special teams? And does that does that actually equate in wins, even with our defense maybe taking like half a step back? In short, yes. Because I, I've seen what Bill Bush can do with special teams. I've seen um, the level of detail that he brings to the table in special teams. Because if there's one thing we can say about the Callahan era, that is the fact that Bill Bush was the guy that was running special teams and it wasn't dog crap like it's been for the last, what, seven years, eight years, other than like one kick return for a touchdown by J.D. Spielman and a punt return for a touchdown by, well, J.D. Spielman in 2018. Other than that, what can we really say about our special teams that's been special? Nothing. I mean, special, special in the sense that like, maybe you need like one of those fancy little, like, uh, like little cardboard (laughs) things that you hang underneath your mirror. Um, Extremely special. You get, you get get good parking spaces that way. Yeah. 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 There, there, there's really been nothing special. Um, I think the thing that stuck out to me uh, with some of the interviews I saw on YouTube with Derek Fisher and, Mickey Joseph is both of those guys want their guys competing to get out on the field to play special teams. And I know you mentioned that in your last podcast honky about how somehow some way special teams needs to be something that is elevated to the level of getting a black shirt, right? Exclusive. Something to make it exclusive. Yeah. Like that it was 
the black shirt tradition that started back in the sixties, it was, it just kind of came out of nothing. Right. And it, but all of a sudden wearing this black shirt that they gave you made you part of a club and it made it a big deal. And I was actually talking with, with Mac uh, and he was kind of throughout the, you know, they should, it should be a purple shirt or something. There's, Something should be a special teams thing that designates this as, as it being exclusive, an exclusive club, and to make it really that big of a deal. Urban Meyer made it a big deal at all the stops he'd have, and their special teams play looked like it, and it would be a difference maker in, in games. Did they have and special jerseys? I don't know if they had special jerseys. I don't know what they – but just it's it's more of a – it's the mentality, right? Like I was like, it could be a jersey. It could be, a, you know, the turnover chain, whatever. You do something that makes it unique, but, like, you want to almost make it like a club. Like I get to be in special teams. How lucky am I? How fortunate am I that I get to play on it? Not this is something that's thrown on it with me. And and having – sometimes I think with coaching, when you make it a, a analyst role like two years ago or when you have it as right. a second role to your position spot like they did with DeWitt and, and even with Dawson last year – um. When you have a guy that that's all he does, as long as he's not Bruce Reed and golfing all the time, it actually I think can work out. And I'm I'm ecstatic to see what what Bush does when this is this is his main focus. I mean, man, he's going to get equal time at the at the every meeting, and 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 if he wants players, if he thinks this guy can be the guy, he's going to move that guy over, and he's going to play it. So, at the very least, I'll say there's no excuses if our special teams aren't marketably better across the board here. Some so of do you have just high special. expectations for the special teams? I have higher expectations than what we had last year. I said last year when they had the open practice that that people could you know go to. Um, I, I went to that and I was like, they put more of an emphasis on special teams than they they did the two years I went to a practice at, during a coaching clinic. That's still true, but the the results didn't look great. Now right. Frost said at the end of the season that it was a specialist issue, and I'm like, well. Some of it might have been some of it. I mean, but you're getting a, a punt block against Iowa when you have the shield wrong and yep. and Iowa takes advantage of that. That's that's not just a specialist issue anymore. Um, we need special. I mean, my goodness, you get the, the punter goes out against Michigan State and kicks a 12 yard punt. And the next week against Northwestern, he kicks an 84 yard punt. The same guy. Like it, <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense. We have a field goal kicker who's the all Big Ten kicker one year. And the next year you can't count on him to make extra points in game one. That doesn't make any sense. Um, of all things, I walked out of spring last year and I was like, I, I felt decent about a few things. And I was like, we don't have a kickoff guy. We just don't. I, and I said that on our show. I was like, we don't have a kickoff guy. Coaching staff saw the same thing I see. I mean, they're smarter than I am. And about a month later, they bring in Frank, the kid, the, the transfer from, I think it was like Morningside. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a kickoff issue for the most part last year, except for one time against Wisconsin. And when we don't kick it into the end zone. It get, of course it gets returned. Yeah, right. Because why wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. You know, why I wouldn't we be down seven nothing ten seconds into the game? So, well, maybe yeah, maybe they could, maybe they could put some corn stickers on their helmets, like I, the Buckeye stickers. Dude, that's a hey, that's a great idea. See, I'm not creative like this. Look, I'm just like, I would look pretty sick. Throw a purple jersey on them, but get, yeah, give them something cool. I, I mean, can live with the corn stickers. Oh no my god, you guys are not supporting stickers on the helmets, are you? <laughs> Only if hey. it's corn. I'm supporting anything that makes those guys tackle somebody in space uh, on special teams. That's what I'm supporting. God, I hope I don't. I I hope I'm not knocking on wood here, but it can it get worse? I mean, that's oh the, yeah, for sure. 100%. That's of course it can. We could give you know, up three kickoffs for a sure, touchdown. Right. You're right. <laughs> that's that's the problem with the whole thing is it feels like we've said that for the last four or five years. Like it can't get worse. It's gonna get better. 
Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's I, continued to get worse. I don't. With the Justin, exception of maybe 2020. Yeah, to your, to your when question had, there, Justin, I, I don't have high years. expectations. I just have higher expectations. And I know that Bush has high expectations. And, and it, at least the staff, I'll give them this. They're all speaking the same language. I mean, my goodness, Fisher sounds like he could be the special teams coach. And Joseph sounds like he could be the special teams coach. They're all saying yeah. the same hey, thing. Is I mean, Donovan Rayola speaking the same language? He might be. I don't know. There's, you know, there were linemen that used to do some special team stuff. Uh, Brian I've Pruitt back in the 90s used to run down on. Hell, our <laughs> offensive line coach used to be our special teams coach back in the 90s. Yeah, Dan Young was, was the it, kicker's coach. Uh, Young, Dan Young was Dan the Young? special teams coordinator. Back in the day um, when you had, you had that was when coaches. we had, that was when we had two offensive line coaches. Yeah. So, and, and here's the thing. I don't need the best special teams in the country. Just get me serviceable special teams that can not lose us games. Let's be middle yeah. of the pack. please. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not pushing back. I just, I want to be the best at every one of those things. When Frost that's got fun, here. On that's defense, fine in time. Well, that's fine in Frost's time. Not here, I'm though. just saying this year. When Frost got here. Even year one, I mean, there was this feeling that on defense, I remember him saying something along the lines of, we just need to be good enough to get the ball back to the offense. So, which could mean be great at defense or just get a, get a turnover, but just get the ball back to this explosive offense. We're going to score 56 points. Just be serviceable defense. And it's like, right. I mean, we're the black shirts. I mean, be the best damn, why, why can't you be the best damn special teams unit out there? The 96 Huskers, you know, in the middle yep. of a dynasty, are not beating K-State unless they play, unless they make field goals and block punts. They're not going to win that game. Or if they win it, they're going to win it three to zero because their defense has to shut the team out. Be, Bush is going to demand that special teams be as good as what Frost will demand the offense to be and what Shenander demands the defense. At least that is something. I mean, two years ago when you're being led by an analyst, it just doesn't even make sense. I mean, if you were a special teams guy, it would feel like you were absolutely – the, the worst part about it is that, that analyst had the best special teams we've had <laughs> over the last four years. Well, man, didn't you know? Think about Col- Colt yeah. making field goals make you makes you look good, right? And then yeah. I can't cool. for the life of me, I can't explain why a kicker goes from what he was to oh well we, because he did we he didn't kick in front that. of people last there you year. Go. Last year, he kicked in front of people. He didn't kick in front of people in 2020. He was the best kicker in the Big Ten because he didn't kick in front of anybody. There was no yeah. pressure. No, I mean, he he kicked in front Nobody of people. Nobody was you know, waving at, at him at one point. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a difference there. Yep. So, that you know what, guys? That changed. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know what? This has been a lot of fun, uh, Honky. We really mm-hmm. appreciate you guys. You well, not you guys, but you coming on. Uh, Redcast Rob, if you happen to be watching, which I know you're not because there's zero people watching right now, but if you will, if you watch this later, uh, just know that we missed you, but we also hate you at the same time because we really wanted the Kool-Aid here tonight. Um, but Honky, why don't you just let everybody know where they can find you out there on the interwebs and where they can subscribe to your show and all that good stuff. Sure. Yeah, we're. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, now YouTube, all at Go Big Redcast. And, uh, you know, listening to us on a podcast, we're on all the different platforms. And and I just want to thank you guys all for having having us on, too. One of the things I, I've enjoyed doing this for the last five years is that there is a community. And the CuzCast has been doing this for throughout most of uh, You guys have started probably before us even, didn't you? 2016. Our, our, 2016. 2016. 
Our last love, season, that was our first season. Yeah, I've never, mm-hmm. I've never viewed any like you mentioned the Cobcast, and and we've had the Husker fan podcast that we did, you know, crossovers with, and um, I, I, I view it as a big community of people all trying to talk about the same thing, passion for the Huskers, and and I've always mm-hmm. appreciated what what we see. Now there's and there's always a new one, you know, Ken. Now we have the the Generation Red, and and you know, there's the the Church of the Corn one, I think that just started up too, and I, I support them all. I, I want everyone to keep, you know, the apathy is the worst thing for Husker fans. And if you, the second we give up, the second we're just frustrated and I know we all get frustrated, but man, Nebraska fans, yeah. we just need to see a winner. My God, you give me one, you get a little bit of momentum. Frost said it last year going into the season. We get a little bit of momentum. Watch out how much fun this can be. And for those young guys that have never experienced what most of us old guys experienced back in the eighties and nineties and all that, Right, man, it there is no better place than Lincoln, Nebraska, and, and being a Husker fan when this thing is rolling. And I'm I'm as confident as I've ever been that it will get rolling again. Uh, just you know, you just gotta you gotta clean up a few things. But man, I'm 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 ecstatic to to be doing this tonight with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Can you imagine how many podcasts there will be after a winning season? Oh my goodness! I, I mean, do you ever talk to like other fan bases that are like, "Holy crap! How many you know shows do you guys have, and how much media there is?" And just well, I, I keep I, finding I, I, new I, I, ones. I, I, I will tell you this: we at one point tried uh, one. I think it was twenty twenty season. We tried to get somebody from every team. We tried mm-hmm. to get a, a different podcast from each each opposing team to come on. And you get to some of those teams, it's hard to find podcasts. That, mm-hmm. I mean, other than maybe a media podcast here or there. Right. But it's hard to find a fan podcast yeah. on, on, the, on a lot of those teams. The, the Rutgers, interest- Illinois was another tough one. Well, no, <laughs> we Illinois had, was our big Kurt. Yeah, we, yeah, we had big Kurt. Uh, Wisconsin was kind of a tough one to find. Uh, that, but mm-hmm. at any rate, it's just there's a lot of teams that it's it, they don't do this. They don't. They don't care like Nebraska. They don't live and breathe, Hus- you know, their football team like Husker fans. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, I mean, that sellout streak is kind of legitimate because there's so much interest in Husker football. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. so much. Not, 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 not every team can say that. They don't have that interest. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but, I mean, I'm 27. I have not witnessed – anything worth salt um i barely remember i barely remember bill callahan all i remember is just being angry all the time and then Bo <laughs> because i was angry all the time. yeah i was just i was just repeating whatever my dad was saying and uh and then Bo Pelini was exciting but it wasn't necessarily monumental um aside from just watching sue just be an absolute freight train at any given moment but yep. There are people like me in my age, like all of my buddies, we are still really high on the Huskers. And, and it, it, you know, I would, I, I bet that there's probably 10 times as many uh, Husker fans in the 20 something age range than there are Northwestern fans or, or Illinois fans. Cause there's just not, there's not that camaraderie interest in, in our, in their illustrious history, if there is even any. Um, and so it's just been really, it's been really painful my whole life, pretty much just absolute and total pain. That's all I've known. Um, but I mean, if like, like honky was saying, and 
what other Husker fans say is that if it gets rolling, it's going to be real fun. It's going to be real fun. And that's what I hold on to for the most part is, is just, man, if I just, if I just keep holding on and I, and I just roll with the punches, eventually if I live long enough, I'll see something good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've got, I've got, you know, like about 60 years or man, not even 60. I got like 50 years left of life probably. So I've got, I've got, a, I've got like a, you know, like a, a, a decent time frame where hopefully something worth worth a shit actually happens um and that's all i hold on to is just that hope i mean i wouldn't have all this bullshit hanging up on my wall if i didn't have some sort of some sort of hope um or tattoos on my body like damn i'm committed i gotta i gotta keep rolling with the punches or what the hell am i doing absolutely how about you guys uh justin where can folks find you uh, they can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Husker Cuzcast. We're not that active, but we're we're out there. And you're out there on all the all the best uh, podcasts. You can find apps, us on right? anywhere you look, get your podcasts. Yep, just like us, and and you can also find us at genredpod.com, where you can listen, download, or subscribe to the show right there on our website, or just go to at genredpod on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, our YouTube channel is uh, Generation Red Live. And if you want to send us a message or a suggestion or anything for the show, you can do that uh, by sending us an email at genrpodcast at gmail.com. Our next live stream is going to be Sunday, May 15th, which is the third Sunday of May. Usually we do the second Sunday, but the second Sunday of May is Mother's Day. And that would just be freaking wrong to do a live stream on mother's day right you could say so us. um our our next stream is sunday may 15th at 7 30 p.m central daylight time our guest panelist believe it or not is not going to be a podcast it's going to be a buddy of mine who lives in alabama he was never an alabama fan was never an auburn fan hell he wasn't even a college football fan until he and i became friends and he decided to listen to our podcast and now he's a Husker fan. So who better should we have on the show than somebody who's brand new to the f- misery, right? Um, so uh, uh, that's what we're going to do. And uh, hey, for Honky, the guys from the Husker Cuscast and Scott and I, we really appreciate all of you watching, all uh, zero of you, and all the hundreds and maybe dozens of you that are going to actually listen to this podcast or maybe watch it on YouTube later we really appreciate it thanks so much for uh entertaining our crazy idea that we think we're worth watching and uh until next time go big red and we'll talk to you soon <laughs>